0: So a slightly different version of the Shark Tank podcast this week. My name is Lewis, and with the oft-ignored LV Cup in full swing, and James on a conference somewhere in Manchester, I'm joined today only by my good friend Alex. Alex, how are you doing?
1: Very good, mate. It feels strange with only two of us, but let's see how we go. Are
0: you excited for the expanded uh, airtime you're going to get?
1: I'm excited for the chat about the kit.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. The thing I'm most excited about as well is not hearing uh, which 16-year-old academy player is going to be the next big thing I, can't. I like to focus.
1: He's going to come back with a vengeance, you know, mate.
0: Yeah, yeah. We're going to have a 40-minute segment on why Kieran Wilkinson is better than George Ford.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. I agree, I think.
0: Yeah. yeah well, okay. Well, we'll save that conversation for another day. But speaking of, you know, young young heroes, which I believe is the official tagline to of the competition, so we're in LV Cup action... Uh, last Friday night against Worcester Warriors, they went away to six ways and actually came back with, uh, I, don't, I don't know if it's a surprising victory, but it's, it's a victory and it's away from home. So I would consider it surprising if nothing else. Uh, 24-21 over Worcester, tries from TJ Ioane, Will Cliff and Ben Curry to go along with three conversions from AJ McGinty uh, and as well and a penalty as well for McGuinty to give Sal the win. Um, I don't want to spend too much time on this because I think we all agree there's not really much to say um but some preliminary thoughts um that I want to mention is uh, it's an away win like that that's that that's the biggest takeaway you know James made a very good point last week about there being uh, a potential to go on a, a losing run comparable to what sale endured this time last season where they went nine to ten games without, without a win and you started to get the sense that you know perhaps the uh, you know the wheels are starting to come off sale in this in this season. Uh, thus far, and getting a win in that the, the Anglo Welsh Cup, you know, could be something of a little mini turnaround for them. And it does build a bit of momentum. and gives them, um, you, you know, at least a, a performance to look back on and say that's something we can definitely build on, even if most of the first team squad uh, wasn't involved. Alex, do, do you have any main takeaways from from this game apart from um, what, what I sort of said that this could be sort of used as a as a mini catalyst?
1: No, I agree with you, mate. I think away wins are. A rarity, and we should enjoy them. And also, it's quite nice to see us take a game um, where we we got on top, and then when we were 14, I think it was when we were 14 points up, or maybe when we were seven points up. We just pushed it out to 10, and so we conceded a late try. But instead of what happened in Leon, where we ended up, you know, throwing the game away from a winning position, we actually showed, I assume, a bit of game management. I mean, you know, it wasn't a a massively experienced team but at least there was a bit of and maybe that's partly to do with AJ McGinty coming back in but there's a bit of you know now to get a win away on the road and you know Worcester put 21 points on us just go away and score 24 points is a really really good result in anyone's books
0: especially especially on a Friday night as well you know probably not the best conditions and you know it just it showed a lot of metal that perhaps they'll like you said have been lacking uh, uh, on the road this season you know to, to sort of grind out a win um, a couple of names I want to mention, just because just how young a team it is. Um, ben Curry, nineteen years old, he was co-captain on the night and then actually took the captaincy on when Will Addison uh, came off midway through the second half. So at nineteen, already getting reps as the captain. That, that must that must equal James Gaskell's record for for captaincy, surely?
1: Yeah, I think so. If not, if not younger, I'm sure Gaskell was twenty, wasn't he? Yeah. Or maybe, yeah. maybe. But yeah, it's. Um, but it's, it's one of those where you don't want to burden him with it like you did with Gaskell because that was a pretty disastrous. Well, it was a disastrous start of the season, wasn't it? So, but no, really good to see. And if you know if they trust him with that responsibility, it's. Um, I'm hoping it's not just a you're our most talented player. Here's the captaincy. I'm hoping it's actually you are you a leader on the field. Here's the captaincy. Um, so if which if it is really we we need more leaders in the team. Um, well, yeah, you, you don't want too many, but I think Curry's as leaders would do well.
0: Well I'm just having a little look down the team sheet, and yeah, with Addison coming off, the Will Cliff was was still on. Um, AJ McGinty, Cam Neill you, know, oh, you know, a couple of you know, TJ, pardon me, TJ Iwani, a couple of first team players on there. So it is interesting that Curry was the one who gets uh, gets under the captain's arm. But would have been interesting if Tom was playing. Uh, would be interesting to see whether or not they share the captaincy or whether or not. Um, one of them takes takes precedent over the other, but uh, now so a couple of other names that are, that are definitely worth uh, mentioning, uh, and some names that are going to make me feel very very old. Uh, Cameron Redpath, uh, who became Sales's youngest ever um, player to play for the first team, I believe at seventeen uh, and two two thirds. Um, Kieran Wilkinson, uh, also seventeen, or is he eighteen? Again, very very young.
1: I think he's eighteen. Thing. Yeah, I mean, this is where we need James. The podcast is falling apart.
0: I, I thought we should give him an honorable mention, um, just because you know, in honor of James, we are still discussing you know the, the very youngest members of Sales Academy, even without him here, which is a shame because he would have absolutely loved it and would have been able to tell us the, the ages, but. Yeah, just looking up and down the team sheet, uh, Matt Sturges, kind of Doherty. Uh, Doherty, I think, was was also 17. It is also 17. Luke James, Aaron Reid, some really, really young names coming through and, and getting some first-team ropes, which you assume is only going to be good for their development. Uh, any any, intru- uh, any things that caught your eye from um, from the team in terms of who played where? or?
1: Um, I thought, so if I can take it on to stats, not immediately, but, you know, Let's have a little sort of bridge between them. Um, Matt Postlethwaite seemed to have a really good game from the stats. And I think Sam Moore, this this wasn't a stats thing. This was, I'm pretty sure Neil Lee um, tweeted about Sam Moore. Yeah, yeah. um, Saying he had a really good game, which is really good to see because I think that's quite an exciting one coming through. And there seems to be quite a lot of positive things being said about him by people who know sort of age grade rugby i.e. Alex Shaw yeah yeah <laughs> <On his own. laughs>
0: and, and and James Maidley
1: yes and James Maidley Num- yeah. number two age uh, grade
0: expert in the country that I would uh, I would proper
1: absolutely and i think that that should be his official title on the pod introduce him like that next week and we'll see whether he's listened he's already he's, he's <laughs> yeah. already
0: our super rugby and top 14 expert as well so he's taken on a lot
1: of different mantles no yeah, well, i'm not sure what we really do we no sort no cover. A- we a sale, um, <laughs> yeah. No, so it's it's good to see that the academy is still strong, and I'm, I'm I'm liking that despite investment from the owners, we're we're staying true to that, and they did say they would, but it's nice to see them sticking to their word on that front. Um, so yeah, Aaron, Aaron Reed as well. Um, quite I had a little look at his highlights reel or something before before the game, so he looks quite exciting. Um, so yeah, it's uh, it's. It's pretty positive for the future, and but the I mean the notable thing is our tries came through three pretty senior players. So yeah, um, maybe had disappointment none of them gone to the score sheet but that's not it's not a massive concern. They're out getting game time. I'm happy with that. No,
0: absolutely, um, and obviously yes, yeah, it's, it's weird to think of Ben Curry uh, as one of the most senior players in, in that team, but he, had, he by all means, watching the highlights, he looked like he had an absolute stormer. Uh, and it was nice to see uh, one of those flat line, uh, flat runs to the line that he does so often actually get rewarded with the crisp pass and watching burst through the uh, the defensive line. That was uh, that was quite something to watch. Nice to see that come off to uh, to fruition. Um, do you have any stats for us on 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 this Worcester game? Stats are stats easy to find for LV Cup.
1: Um, it's a sort of similar story to the Challenge Cup, mate. Really, it's it's a mixed bag of some some that are right and some that are completely mad. Um. So Can we have the mad Ones first? Yeah, let's have the Mad Ones first. 0% territory, again, <laughs> either side. So we just spent the whole game on the halfway line. Um, we had none of the ball in the second half. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's impressive that we managed to see the game out, really. Um, defending 72 tackles out of 85, if that's true, I'm, I'll be surprised. Um, on to the more slightly reasonable ones. 468 meters made, which is a pretty good return away from home. I know it's an LB Anglo Welsh, whatever it's called now. Um, So it's not like you know, mad, amazing. Sort of, it's one of those games where you expect to make a lot of meters, but still, um, we out. Worcester only made 329. So if you want to put it into context, that's a pretty decent return. Line out 7 from 9 again which is a bit of a worry but apparently Worcester's was 10 from 17. So, wow. Wow. But once I'm pretty sure that it's the first time all season we've actually beaten a team at the line out. Is, is uh, that the possible
0: way influence?
1: I I can only assume so. <laughs> Hang on. <That's>, uh, let's <laughs> move on to player stats on that note because I'm pretty sure the uh, line out's one that comes up and oh no that's only for hookers. Sorry. My bad. Give us Cameron the hooker stats anyway. Cameron Neal won six nine outs. Curtis Langdon won when they were throwing in. So that's our seven from the nine. I'm not sure. Again, we're pretty limited here on who uh, how how we did. But I think sorry, I, I just
0: want I just want to say actually, um, if if Premiership Rugby and the organisers of tournaments like the LV Cup want this competition to be taken seriously, a bit like the Challenge Cup, what, why? I don't know you know stats available why are there no highlights apart from on the premiership rugby site that's you know it only especially with the challenge cup it only reinforces the the gap between the premier competition and the secondary competition if you don't put the statistics up and you don't put the highlights up and don't make it a more interesting and accessible tournament that's just one of my pet peeves with, with, with with this competition
1: Oh, no, absolutely, mate. And it leaves me with a sort of stats bank that is half empty, which is really annoying. So I haven't got any... My Challenge Cup stats are two columns, Toulouse and Leon, and half of them are just X's blanked out, which um, just winds me up more than anything. So I totally get it, but that's more because I'm a stats freak. Um, but it's kind of a, another interesting point um, that kind of came out of it. When we scored 24 points away, which is a pretty um, pretty decent return... That is actually lower, our average away points this season has been 25, wow. which is a pretty impressive return going away, considering our average points at home has been 28, um, so Ooh. it's almost like our defence completely falls apart when we go away. Shock. We still manage to score points, but yeah, we uh, we concede an average of 39 away, which is why we wow. can
0: that, that is an unbelievable stuff. 39 points on average as well, that's not even the most we've shipped, average. jeez.
1: The most we've shipped is 50, uh, the lowest we've shipped away is, uh, let's have a look, points conceded, 21 against Worcester, so. Wow, wow. Well, yeah. Good job, uh,
0: good job Mike Forshaw doesn't listen to this podcast, we assume.
1: Yes, I know, um. But then, you know, at home, we only, we've only we got an average points conceded of 10. Um, because when you think about our home games this season, it's obviously we're on a pretty low, but we've had 13 to Newcastle, 7 to Irish, and 10 to Gloucester and Exeter. So that's a pretty big disparity um, between our... 29-point disparity between our points conceded when we were away, which kind of backs up the general myth around sale that we, we don't travel well. Yeah. Um, I don't think that's a myth I definitely don't think that's a myth that, that's called hard facts Absolutely facts yeah <laughs> um, so I, we can't read too much into the Worcester game I'll pull out some of the other interesting ones um, I don't know whether I, I mentioned this just a minute ago 12 tackles from Matt Postlethwaite um, which is a pretty pretty good return 9 for George Knott so a big shift from those two in the second row compared to everyone else on the uh, Everyone else on the field, virtually. Christine scotland and got 13, which I assume 12 of will make a highlight for on long BT Sport <laughs> right, at some point. Um, and then attacking-wise, not a massively amazing week. Um, Bryce Heem for Worcester made 116 metres, um, which is why he's making Team of the Weeks so and everyone's talking about him. Very Nothing good player.
0: Really good player that I'm, that I'm surprised hasn't been snapped up um, by, by somebody else. Uh, I'm very surprised that he's playing uh, in LV Cup games, unless he's uh, unless he's injured.
1: It's just fun, isn't it? Because I think... yeah, well, you've got Pennell as well at Worcester. So you would think that someone would be coming in for a player like that, where you know he's maybe struggling to uh, to get into the team. But there you go. Um, some more sixty meters made. Well, fifty-eight uh, Ben Curry, fifty-nine meters made. So some pretty good performances from our back row there, actually, which uh, is pretty positive to see. Um, And that's really it from the Worcester game. Um, The only other things I want to talk about stats-wise is a quick one which came from a discussion with um, regular listener Martin Whiteley this week on Twitter, um, which is a BT Sport one, which I'll just sort of do in a... um, Flashback
0: flashback to the Exeter podcast, where we were discussing sale on TV.
1: So, take your minds back to my discussion of the fact that um, I said that we had lost seven... We lost seven and one two, I think. Or lost eight and one two or something. That sounds about right. Yeah, lost eight and one two. That was right. Anyway. Um, so, some excellent statistical work from Martin, which I genuinely really appreciated. Um, that is for this season and last season. Um, so in that time that was premiership only 174 premiership games have been played um, 22 lots of 6 last season and 7 lots of 6 this season um, we have been in 10 um, which is 5.7% of all the games played but BT Sport usually televised 3 games a weekend on average um, and I think that's their contract is 3 games a weekend um, which means there's 87 televised games but the issue with that is, um, if you want backup of why we are underrepresented on BT Sport, our fair representation should be sixteen point seven percent of games, one in six, basically. Given that there's, um, you know, two teams in every game. I'm going to take you, I'm going to take word for all of this because it's already gone over my head. Um, we are in. I know this is deep stuff. <laughs> they all come around in the end. Basically, we are televised in 11.5% of games, so we basically get an underrepresentation representation of about 5%, which, you know, is probably to be expected, but if anyone wanted confirmation that BT Sports don't show sale, um, that is that is sort of why. But then again, I would quite like that stat to drop, because whenever we're on TV, we appear to put in the performance of an under-6 team with who, who just got together for the first time. Well, well, that's uh, it.
0: That, that's it. I think the problem is on the. You can understand why BT don't show cell games because every time they do, sell uh, just uh, play a clunker, you know, and they they play out, you know, a ten six loss to Exeter, or it was the Newcastle game on TV this year? That was
1: yeah, I'm pretty uh, sure. Another low scoring game. Wins and. Um... And extra have been the ones on TV yeah, each, yeah. but it's
0: you know you, you, you can't blame them you know, especially if Sale if are playing on the Friday nights and conditions aren't great of course it's not going to lend itself very well to um, you know to to, 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 to great rugby and you know um, unfortunately uh, you know at the end of the day BT want an entertaining product and <laughs> unfortunately sometimes Cell games are not entertaining <laughs>
1: not that entertaining product whenever BT team. yeah it's absolutely right and they've got um now their pick of the next games for um the second half of the season haven't they so we have managed to put in two absolute shockers on one average so I can't see that we're going to uh, I think in the minds of people we are reinforcing the belief which um, the club seems to also reinforce that we are a gritty northern team Mm. who uh, Mm. you know us against you we're going to be rubbish we're not going to get any TV representation so there you go. There's some. Uh, if, if ever you and your friends are discussing BT Sports under representation of sale, you've got the stats to prove it. We're only on 11.7% of the games when we should be on 165
0: That's a great quote, that's 117 That should definitely be put on the supporters' Club page on Facebook because I feel like that's a topic that comes <laughs> up very, very often. Right, shall we do some questions? Well, let's do some questions, mate. So, a brand new feature um, for the podcast because it's the LV Cup week, because there isn't actually that much to talk about. Um, we wanted to ask you, the listener, to send us some questions, get us talking about topics you want to hear us discuss. Uh, we've had a really, really good response. Some, some more serious, um, some more serious than others. But uh, I'm, I'm really excited for this. I've been, I've been looking forward to this one in the calendar for, for, for a while now. So, Alex, first question for you. Uh, this comes from Ian James uh, on our Facebook page, which is the Sharks Podcast. Please make sure you do, you do like and follow that page. In addition to our Twitter. Ian James asks, isn't it about time we rename the food stalls at the AJ Bell as a show of respect to our former players? For example, Quato's Chippy, Robinson's Rolls, and the Dwayne Peel Pie Shop. Uh, what, what, uh, what do you think about that?
1: I think it'd be quite good to have um, Fridge's Fridge, where you can oh. sort of get your snacks. Um, yeah, no, absolutely. Fridge's, it's what serious. What, what about, what about that, Fridge, Fridge's Freezer? which is freezer. What, as a sort of cryogenic chamber for you to try out? Or, no,
0: I'm thinking I'm thinking ice cream stall.
1: Ah, uh, okay, yeah. That'd be yeah, great. That's that's yeah, that's better. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, absolutely. In As a joke, yeah, that would be quite funny. But also, in all seriousness, yeah, it would be quite nice to see, wouldn't it? I think I don't think the club does a lot for former players, really. Um, that's definitely
0: changing, though. You, you see it in how they're pushing yeah. Dave Seymour's coffee um, coffee business. Uh, Bringing and Lewis Roberts and Sam two two people as club amb- ambassadors, whatever that means, um, you know. And it's it's nice to see so trying to retain uh, the players and bring them part of the, part of the club. It's a very Saracens as thing, um, which you see a lot of teams emulate. But it's it's I think it's I think it is nice in a way to see them trying to encourage them um, to push to new ventures and, and keep them around. Obviously Quato as well is the um, the business ambassador or business yeah, yeah. development. Yeah,
1: so he's got the Quato suite top top uh, yeah. in the in the gods, um, but no, it's 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 good. I think it's a bit of a, um, I think it's something that's come about since the new owners have come in. Definitely. Um, and I just I just hope it doesn't, I'm going to say without getting into trouble, uh, get ring fenced to a selection of people determined by another selection of people, can I say that much? Uh, no, no, no that. you're banned from here, <laughs> you banned from the game. Um, I, you know, there's some players who maybe, um, I, get, I mean it happens at every club, but I think I would like to see players who put a lot of work in for the club rewarded. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, and that extends to people like Will Cliff and Mark Jones, which I think, you know, they, they we shouldn't forget that the amount of work they put in for the club pre- going to Bristol. Although, can you forgive them for going to Bristol? That's the, that's the question. Well, uh, that's a, the that's a dilemma ever, I wrestle with. Yeah. Do you ever forgive anyone for going to Wasps?
0: No. No, absolutely not. Un- unless it's Tommy Taylor. They'll know you make an exception. Yeah.
1: It's- oh,
0: um, do, you to, do you want to say your rumour about Tommy Taylor? Because we forgot to mention it last week.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah, I can do, actually, can't I? Um, this is a rumour that I have heard from um, one source. So, let's you know, it's not it, and it's come through the grapevine a bit. Um, but apparently, Tommy Taylor is not as happy at Wasps as perhaps he was at Sale, um, and that is to do with the fact that Wasps have got a lot of egos in their squad. Um, so there is The rumor is that you know, it's a pretty, pretty sort of explosive atmosphere at Wasps, especially this season because they're not doing very well. Um, but I think that's—it's not just this season that's that's sort of led to this. So the rumor is that we have—we um, we would obviously be interested in having Tommy back. Tommy would be interested in coming back to the north more generally. Um, so perhaps on the first of January, there may be some um, negotiations going on. Obviously, absolutely nothing before that. And, and may I just say about this Tommy Taylor rumor, I. I I don't think there's any basis to it and I've got absolutely nothing to do with it because if I say that it'll come off in two weeks that's
0: how I really <laughs> want to say it, <laughs> yeah, it you mentioned the January 1st thing because obviously you're not allowed to talk to players who are out of contract and maybe maybe that's why because he wasn't out of contract but it's amazing how Sale managed to get the Marlin Yard deal done because if, uh, if, I, I feel that, ru- that, that rule about not talking to players before the 1st of January is probably going to fall by the wayside as we see more Ed Slater, Johnny May type deals but at but the
1: that's same time, been, has it been banned? That swap's been yeah. That swap's been they've basically written it out of the laws. That's but a anyway, thing. yeah, the the game is becoming more fluid in its transfers. So, absolutely, so, absolutely, yeah. But yeah, no no,
0: that, that that was all I had to say. But yeah, it'd be, be interesting um to see what happens with with a few old old sailboys. And friend of the pod, JB, mentioning you know, maybe 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 Cipriani is, is interested in leaving wasps. But also there's also the rumour that he's also going to Leon. And I think if I was Danny Cipriani, I'd know exactly uh which country in, in Europe I'd be going to. Um last one on the on the question from Ian James Ian James to bring it back. Um th- there has gotta be a good pun for C in there somewhere. Doing oh that. yeah, absolutely. You know, yeah. a, a French, a French fishmonger's, you know,
1: the fish. I like that. That's that's a, we should maybe we should set one up. Yeah. See, yeah, I, uh, there's there's definitely a good pun, but I'm I'm just not witty enough to make it. Send in your best uh, X ex, X sale player puns. Answers on a postcard, please. That will actually um, we can have that next week. We can start start with that. Um. So, should we move on to the next question? Yeah, go ahead. Speaking of um, me getting banned from the club, how have, brackets, if the club reacted to the work you guys are putting in on an independent podcast? That's come from Carl Welford. Um,
0: do, you to, do you want me to start with this?
1: You go for it, mate.
0: So, how have the club reacted uh, to our podcast? Not at all. I've heard, personally, absolutely nothing. Uh, nothing's come through to me. Um, in, in my capacity in the podcast um, we do have a few, you know, a few of the players follow us on Twitter and we've got some good engagement we go back and forward a little bit and that's really nice to see but the club as a whole as an institution at least from my perspective uh, haven't really raised any any uh, complaints or support or nothing yeah. and I guess that's I, yeah it's, it's been radio silence and I don't know whether or not that's better what
1: do yeah, you reckon? it's yeah um... It's it's a strange one, isn't it? Because you sort of, I mean, do you, have we been noticed by the club? Surely at this point, someone at the club has picked. We 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 are in their tweets occasionally, so I think. But whether they've ever actually looked into it, yeah. I, I would be surprised if they had. Um, maybe if we get a couple of players on um, the pod, then that might change. But we've had nothing from the club. But at the same time, we've not had any sort of criticism or anything, and we're not, no. you know, we're not we're not a sail shark's mouthpiece saying all the best things about sales so if they wanted to come back with a bit of criticism of us then I would be perfectly happy with that but they haven't so um, is it good is it bad, is it anything um, is it a bird, is it a plane we Yeah, yeah. I'm sure, it'll, it'll happen at some point won't it but it's just um, whether it's online and a bit of a stop doing what you're doing or it's Steve Diamond coming knocking on one of our doors <laughs> No, uh, yeah,
0: we, we we should point out. I don't know that the club does does listen to the podcast. Um, I know a few ex sale employees do, and um, I'll tie you off the air. Um, you know, we, we're not we're not against working for the club, and I, and I think I think what we've always strived for as a podcast, yes, we're, is looking at things from an objective view. So yes, we're going to be critical of things we don't like, and yes, we're going to complain and moan and and suggest ways to self to be better. But I think we do a re- a decently good job of balancing. Um, what the club do do well with um, with with things that we think they need to be improved on, and I think that I think that's a healthy balance to have. And I think obviously when you don't have the NBA and you don't have BBC Radio Manchester taking a more critical view of things, I think it helps when you don't have this club exclusive echo chamber. And I think you know we would be happy to work with the club if the club wanted to work with us. Uh, I'd love to. Uh, get a tour around the Mark Quato um, business suite, you know. So if if you're listening Quates, please set that up. That'd be quite fun. But you know, yeah, we, we we've genuinely not heard anything um, from the club, and like as me and I just said, we're not sure whether that's a good or a bad thing. Um, I know some yeah. people. I, we've had some people tweet that we should be supported. I'm sure there's plenty of people who think you know it's better to be kept independent. But I'm, I don't know. I'm I'm not. I'm not. In I
1: think we should say that when it comes down to it, as much as we do wind and moan occasionally we are three massive massive sale fans so you know we we should um we should always keep that in check and if the club were to cast us out that wouldn't stop us doing the pod or being sale fans no absolutely. Well, it wouldn't stop me anyway i'd I'd still go if <laughs> only out of spite if I got banned.
0: <laughs> no absolutely absolutely anyway next question this one comes from um, a good friend of, another good friend of the pod Daniel Pott um, he who asked this afternoon which academy players have shown the most promise uh, for sale thus far this would be a great question if changes on the podcast
1: I know we'll have, should we ask, we'll have to ask him next week when he's back yeah um, yeah it, my answer is probably going to be a little bit sort of. I, I, Academy players, I'm guessing we're talking anyone who's not made the transition to the senior squad. Yeah, season. who's
0: not in and around the 23 week in week out. Yeah. So we can't say Ben Curry and Tom Curry. But at the same time, yeah. does Aaron Reid count? Probably
1: not. Yeah. Well, Aaron Reed was around the senior squad over the summer when Denny was away with England. Um, Charnley was. No, uh can't remember basically when we were at the barbecue, Aaron Reid was training as part of the first team yeah. squad. Um so, you know, he's sort of he's clearly showing a bit of promise. Um and I think it would be good to see him get a start and we'll see him in action on Friday night. Um hopefully. Um although we may have a certain Mr M. Yard um making his appearance. Um I think Sam Moore's seems to have, Sam Moore seems to have uh, adapted very well to first-team rugby, considering he came in for his debut. I'm pretty sure against Leon yeah. play in, the in the Challenge Cup. So, um, pretty awesome from him. Matt Postlethwaite looks like he's had a good game this weekend. It's a bit difficult to say, really, isn't it? Because we haven't really seen much of them. So, we'll see the first on Friday. Yeah, um, and yeah. And the failed Jets haven't done it a lot this season. And, and it's been mostly as well. There's not been a lot of academy players sort of, Getting in there because you've got quite a lot of the David Seymours, the Cam Neal's playing at Hooker. Yeah, absolutely. The Jets haven't played for about a month, have they? No, no,
0: because the early games keep getting cancelled.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, So, to Daniel Pot, I would say that that is an excellent question. And what I mean when I say that's an excellent question is that I don't really know the answer. I think Sam Moore has got to have honourable mention
0: I think yeah I think Sam Moore is going to be my answer just because he has um, staged a coup against Lawrence Pierce for that back row slot and cast he's exiled Lawrence Pierce to the second division of France now that, uh, yes. now that now that Pierce has joined I can't remember who he's joined but he's basically as the club announced last week he's left with immediate effect to join a, a team in the uh, the Pro D2 in uh, in France so um reading between the lines it would it would appear that you know sell are very happy with how quickly Sam Moore has developed uh, and they're ready to cast Pierce aside and, and let Moore take his take Pierce's role as a sort of uh uh backup in, in waiting for, for, for the back row, especially since uh, uh if Sell don't want to pursue Johnny Ross at number eight which he definitely definitely shouldn't do. Uh, in, in my humble opinion, but yeah, so I, th- I think Sam Moore, it's interesting that like this time last season we were talking about Tom and Ben Curry, uh, we were talking about George not getting a few first team reps, we we're talking about Paolo Doku, who again he's he's obviously been injured, and I think he's a big question mark when when we come back in in a good sense. I should, I should clarify because the way I look at Doku is you know we saw so much from him at the first half of last season. There's a lot of potential there. Uh, and if he comes back, he could, he could easily work play his way into the first team, starting every week. Oh yeah, you know if, if 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 they'll you know rotate some players around if solve is away with England, if yards away with England, you know, who could easily come in and make a huge impact. I'd also quite like to see him maybe get a run out at uh, thirteen because I think that pace and that strength in the outside channels could be very very dangerous if used correctly. But again, does Adoku count as academy? Yeah,
1: it's a strange one, isn't it? No, I I. I He's surely I think he must. He, he's so, he's he's a weird one, isn't he? Because he's sort of he did that academy to first team thing, but he hasn't actually been around the first team. he's been injured. The whole yeah, time yeah. In and the obviously, he had
0: team. the second half of last season, he just didn't play because Charlie came in and Solon came yeah. in. So, yeah, yeah, a bit of weird one. But yeah, I think I think his answer is Sam Moore, and I'm sure James will tell us which you know 16 year old is tearing it up at you know for the for the the South Sharks academy team. Yes, yeah. uh, whatever the development team is called when they go down to play. You know, high schools in Cheshire So
1: yeah, It has got to um, point in stage because if you'd asked me five years ago I would have known most of the Sale Academy because I'd either played against them or after them went to schools around Manchester yeah. um, but unfortunately it is a reminder of the inevitable passing of time that I no longer know any of them um, and on that positive note mate, given recruitment today and the stage of development of academy players how equipped is Sale's squad? The rigors of the rest of the season, and that is from good friend of the pod Martin Whiteley who's got two mentions on this pod. I know it's he's uh,
0: yeah. yeah, no, that, that's a really interesting question, and there's there's a lot to dissect there but I'm going to try and keep it keep it succinct. Um, I still think academy wise, as we just touched upon, I don't think there's anyone who's going to make as big an impact in the first team as there was last year with Tom and Ben Corey and Paolo Dogu and George Not. Um, I like the look of Aaron Reid I like the look of Cameron Redpath and Kieran Wilkinson and Sam Moore and all these other players I don't actually know how much Sam Moore is going to play, um, especially if Strauss stays on at 8 um, and doesn't get picked for Scotland still um, you've also got CJ Wani who still insists on playing at 8 and John Ross who still also insists on playing at 8 so there might not actually be that many opportunities for Ross so I think we can probably discount the development of academy players as having a major impact on sales uh, season apart from in- example the LV Cup so if we take the first team as a whole as they are at the moment I still think that, that there's some big holes because I'd, I've not seen anything from James Flynn that makes me think he can rotate with Ross Harrison yep. with, even, even with Matt Posselway, the, the greatest lock of all time coming through there's, there's still a big there's still a big gap at uh, uh, in the second row that apparently George Knott is not looking um, um, to be played in because you know with with, uh, with Evans going down early in the season, you would have expected to see not maybe really start to push to that first team, but that's not happened yet. Obviously, there's plenty of time for his development, but it would seem like we still got that. Sales still have two massive holes in their first team at Loosehead and Lock, which we were saying before summer last season needed to be addressed, which haven't been addressed, and which Marlon Yard certainly won't address. So I think if Sale can get these these sort of mid season acquisitions right, and you see O'Connor and Clark, Gel, and, and a few other players like that. Then, then there's there's still a good chance Sale can be a, be a top 6 and or at least push for that top six. But I think you can sign all you can sign as many Tavitakur Current Drani's and Marlon Yards as you like in the world. But until you get another <laughs> loose head to rotate with Ross Harrison and just just another body to put at four with a bit of Premiership experience or, or Super Rugby experience, whatever under the belt, I still think Sale. A, 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 the, the squad is still too unbalanced for me.
1: Yeah, I would mostly agree. I think the other point I would make is that where we've got deficiencies in the in the first team, so to speak, or the squad generally, they're not. We've not got much coming through from the academy that sort of gives you, you know, a massive amount of hope. We haven't got the the Currys or the Wilkinsons or the Redpaths. They're all in positions where we've actually got a pretty decent sort of setup other than maybe inside centre where I think long term you know, you've got Jennings but then who else have you got who wants to play inside centre so yeah. to speak um, so yeah, I think I think we are we are definitely in need of those mid-season acquisitions whether they will happen or not, I don't know um, but as you say, loosehead prop second row are massive areas of concern and I still think we're kind of our back row is a very strange area where, if you looked at the list of names, you'd go massive strength in depth. But actually, as a Sale fan having watched them, I don't think we've got strength in depth at like six, and that's kind of it. Yeah, we've, we've we've not got any kind of sevens. We've not, you know, we've got one eight, which is Josh Strauss. It's 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 a very weird back row situation where you can kind of, you know, we've got Curry, Curry, Uarnley, Ross, Strauss. Seymour, because, you know, we've got six players there. He can make two back rows, and actually, I it's one of the areas where I would think we're not actually massively strong, so it's really it's a, it's a very strange situation that one. Um, and then you know, scrum half have we got the depth we had in previous seasons? Not really. We've got two no. really got two good scrum halves, but I still don't know why we let Nathan Foles go because I thought he was really good. I get why we let Mitchell go, but we kind of needed to get someone in, maybe. Um, Conor so, Deaver yeah, has
0: gone, because he was sort of the next in line to take over yeah. from Mitchell, but he's, I think he's gone to Italy to play in their second division, or Premier League, or whatever. Um, yes. But yeah, that, that definitely is a big area of weakness. Uh, this one comes in from Angus. Uh, given Dimes' limited success during his coaching career thus far, is he the right man to take us forward on the field?
1: Oh, Angus, are you trying to get us banned from the <laughs> <laughs> Um It's an interesting one, isn't it? Um,
0: i tell you what, actually, actually, before you answer that, we had a very, very similar question um, for Michael Graham on Facebook. Now that we are signing the calibre of player to take sale into the top four, do we have the right coaching setup to capitalise on that? And co- coaching is one of the things that came up most uh, this week uh, when, when, when we asked for questions. So, let's let's extend yeah do do you still have the coaching staff to take take us forward?
1: yeah, overall, um yeah i think I think we do because I think we have the there is undoubtedly talent in amongst it, and i think what the the thing is it's maybe just got a bit sort of stale um because when Paul Deacon came in, he had a really, really good effect on our attack, and when Mike Forshaw came in, he had an awesome effect on our defense. Um, and you've got to say that what Dines has done since he came in, however long ago, um, feels like a lifetime, yeah. <laughs> in a good way. Um, but you, every time we tried to go with someone else, it hasn't worked. Yeah. Um, of the two or three times, and you know, before before Dines came, we would had these same problems. We never. Dines is the only person who's taken us to a sort of pushing for top four finish. So. Um, since think, since Saint Andre, since Saint Andre, who, lest lest we forget, took us to a ninth place finish the year after we won the league. Um, so you know it's and then has sort of not done very well with France either. So I think yeah I maybe there needs to be a little bit of a shake up. But I I've got. Pretty much confidence in all of those people that they have done it before and could do it again and have the ability. So I'm actually, um, I'm not saying this because of you know recent events with certain people who may be named J, B. Um, genuinely, I, I do think the coaching setup is good enough, and I think the structure of the club is such that they have the support. And you look at the most successful teams of all time; you don't get you don't win by chopping and changing. Look at Mark McCall at Saracens, how long he's been there and how long it took to build it. You know, you, you don't get the most successful results by chopping change, and I'm a big believer in that. So I am going to say we're fine. Maybe we need a bit of a kick up the backside, or maybe we need some sort of injection, but we're on the way, and we now have the investment to support the talent of those coaches.
0: Yeah, I think where I stand on this is. Oh, I uh, Maybe, I like the idea, that something that Diamonds has always preached is taking a lot of ideas from Rugby League. I don't know whether or not I'd have both my attack and my defence coach from Rugby League. However, you know, both have, have, have produced, you know, interesting results in, uh, you know, in their first couple of years in Union. Although it is interesting to think that Forshaw has pretty much been at the club for, you know, nearly five years now. So it's, it's you know, yeah. how time flies. Um but there are, and I think what Dimes has done very well recently, especially as the more, more money's come in, is we've got a dedicated scrum coach in Don Richmond, and we have a dedicated kicking coach in John Collard. And I think those are two very good um, um, appointments, because obviously for a while, Diamond was doing the scrum and, you know, managing the you know the finances and, you know, doing the tax returns and the press releases and uh, seemingly everything. So I think getting Carl, uh, Collard and um, Richmond in was a really good move. Um, but that... I still think the, the, the logical next step for Sale is Diamond to move upstairs and into a DOR position proper and bring in a head coach. And I think I think that is the that is the dynamic that I think is going to take Sale further up, you know, push Sale on because it's clear that's what Diamond wants to do. That's why we had Brian Redpath come in as, as head coach. And Diamond's, you know. For all the criticisms, you know, we and other cell fans levy at him, is a very good uh, he's a very shrewd negotiator, and he does very well on the shoe budget, and he's so far picked up some very good players without, you know, breaking the bank. And I really think he that's where Dimes' best strength lies, in that sort of shrewd financial, you know, overseer um role. I do think the way he tries to set Sale to play isn't always the most progressive, and I think um, there are a couple of things that he does that you know you wouldn't see Rob Baxter or Mark McCall or Eddie Jones or you know any of the other great coaches do, and I do think that's what we need to, to push for because I think I, I have confidence that Dines Selk can win the league with Dimes, you know yeah. Lead, lead, yeah, you know yeah. you. steering the ship, and I think and I think he'd do very well uh, in that that DOR role handling. Transfers and sort of like a general manager in in American sports, and I think if you can get a really bright, shrewd mind who's perhaps a little bit more progressive in terms of on field tactics and um, you know setup and you know how how the team should play and maximise its strengths, then I think that would be how how we push sale forwards. I know James. One of James's favourite things is to tweet Alex Sanderson on Twitter and uh, and see if he fancies coming. Leave, leaving um, leaving Saracens and coming and be a head coach—that'd be that'd be a great hire, and that'd be exactly the sort of you know p- player, uh, sorry, um, coach that Sale you know should invest the money in and and get and have him almost as a protege, but at the same time give him the reins to oversee yeah. a Premiership club and a Premiership club with a lot of money, and just let Dimes sort of micromanage um, from 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 higher up the ladder. That's how I think Sale needs to progress. Because I think Deacon for sure. Uh, Collard, uh, Collard and uh, Richmond is enough. I think Dimes is a, as as a DOI is fine. I just think we're missing that head coach, and that's you know that's why Brian Redpath didn't last because he was shit. You know, <laughs> for, 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 no, think, that was long and short of it. And and I think the other thing as well is it's a very particular type person. That I get on well with Diamond, but I think if you can find a head coach who works as well with Diamond as well as as well as Diamond works with Deacon and Forshaw. That could be a very, very beneficial partner if Dimes is handling
1: matters off the field. That is the thing. You need someone who is, you know, gets on with Dimes enough to allow that sort of, allow Dimes not to, you know, once he has that control to then sort of interfere. Um, but also, you need someone who's strong enough to say to Dimes, you stay upstairs, because that was part of the issue with Brian Redpath. Yeah. But Dimes moved upstairs and couldn't hack, not having. You know the control to come, you know, be in charge of matters downstairs. So, um, and I think Redpath probably got so much pressure from the club and you know, having Diamonds as his boss that, that contributed. I'm not saying he's a good coach done wrong, but I'm saying that the pressure that he had on him at that point, anyone would struggle to perform. Yeah, under.
0: yeah, and that's why I think you need that, that experienced head coach, or at least. Yeah even if it's a rookie head coach as it were coming from a team like Saracens I.D. Sanderson or was it Ali Heffer at Exeter someone like that who's, yes. who's might be his first time you know steering the ship but has the experience and the prestige from coming from one of these big European clubs
1: Andy Farrell also yeah. another one like that um, who. Has been linked with.
0: Be was linked to it was the summer, I believe.
1: Yeah, yeah. That, yeah, that, summer. yeah. That,
0: that would be. That'd be a very I interesting. Quite
1: death, happen. yeah. Yeah, but before we got ourselves into any more trouble, one last question before I believe we're going to hear James's dulcet tones, um, and a really simple one from Jack Worthy. buy the stadium or move? His
0: here is my thing about the stadium I think it's admirable what the uh, Simon Orange and Jet Mason are trying to do uh, I think it's admirable the way that me and four and a half other thousand die hard cell fans have you know tried to make it a home and um, understand the issues that you have um, by not owning the stadium because we don't get any concessions revenue and, and that sort of stuff but I think cut your losses or, or, you know in fact no forget that if you never, there is absolutely no point in staying at the AJVal Stadium if it isn't going to have a public transport system. Why did, why did FC Park work so well? Because people could get the train or they could get the bus and it'd be dead easy. I once tried to do public transport to the AJVal Stadium the first season we were there. and It was a nightmare, I missed the first 35 minutes because the 67 bus just doesn't show up sometimes. It, it is yes. it is unworkable without a public transport system. It's unworkable. And all this talk about the, the metro going to the traffic centre by twenty twenty. It's still unworkable because you still got across the you know the, the motorway, and it's yeah, absolutely. And look, and the bridge
1: I, will still be half built
0: by then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that's look. And I sympathise so much with the club because they've had so much stuff put on top of them with with, with the access road and everything, and originally it didn't help that the club seemed to just sort of ignore the issue and kind of blame the fans a little bit in those first couple of seasons you know the whole you know if you really cared you'd come with whatever um but they are trying to address it but i don't think i don't think it's fixable until you get a public transport system because we you know sale have got 10,000 people to the age of our stadium before but you can't do it consistently because as soon as you have that many people attending the traffic issues become exacerbated and because yeah. you can't Sorry, and, it's, and that's because you can't ship everyone onto, onto the Metro or the or, or the train back home.
1: Well, Exeter game, perfect example. People getting in after half-time. People around me got in after half-time. Yeah. And I mean, you know, into the second half because we had a... And no matter what anyone says, Exeter was one of our best crowds of the season from my perspective. Looking yeah. Out, I'm in main stance looking out. Um, and it showed in the fact that it was a nightmare to get there. I left the Trafford Centre... At five past six, so they say, Oh, go to the tra- I left Centre in the car at five past six, and I got to the ground at seven o'clock. Yeah, like it, it took me 55 minutes, and you can see the stadium from the traffic center, yeah, and vice yeah. versa. And so, it's just, it's it's not that you know, and I told as, as as you said, totally, this isn't the club's fault at all. It's a stadium that they've built, near a very, very old place to build a stadium. You know, you look at these kind of stadiums where they're been built recently, the Jacek Stadium, Worcester Stadium, they're out of town and that's fine. Or you've got like Leicester, um, Gloucester, and Bath in town. But the okay. point of a stadium being in town is that it's not a public transport. Link. The point of a stadium being out of town is that the traffic is way easier to deal with. And um, we have somehow <laughs> got ourselves in need for those options. We've got, we're sort of in town but with no public transport. So and yeah, you cannot rely on the metro coming to the Trafford Centre because it you just won't. It won't help, and in the next four years, because it won't be there in the next four years. Yeah. And even if it does, the metro isn't the best connected system in the world. Because if you want to come from Sale to get out to Eccles, I guarantee you'll have to go basically into town to Trafford Bar to come out. So who's going to want to do that? Yeah. No anyway, one. Everyone's still going to drive.
0: Last, last, last point on this is I see a lot of people. You know when. The extra situation last week was a nightmare. A lot, see a lot of people trying to justify, oh, there's an accident on the motorway, as if it's a one-off thing. But the problem is, it's Friday night in the middle of the winter. There's going to be accidents on the motorway. This is this has been happening for four, five years now, and it, it isn't a one-off. You, you know, trying to get people to a 7:45 kickoff coming out, coming from Manchester City Centre in the middle of winter in the pitch black, it's never going to work. And I applaud the club in their statement last week for saying. Uh, you know, we might have to, have to play on a Saturday afternoons. Hmm, who's been saying that for three years? Uh, yours truly, in case you weren't aware. But you know, but even then, I still, and I, and I think that Northampton game in a couple of weeks when they play on a Saturday evening is going to be really interesting. It's not ideal because you still have the you know the Manchester football clubs you know play in that time, uh, play around that time. But it'd be interesting to see if we see seven or eight thousand for the first time this season because it's on a Saturday. But even then, I still think that's going to hold. Even if we start getting crowds of seven, eight thousand on a Saturday evening, you know, five o'clock or whatever, you're never going to reach your potential because there still isn't a public transport system there. And, sale are desperate to try and draw in this, this casual fan this you know, you know, leave work at five o'clock, have a few beers in town, come out to the game, you know, have a good time, that sort of thing. It's never going to work if you don't have public transport. It, and, and, and that's it. That's, that, that that's the end of it.
1: And may I say, as a sort of caveat to this, because I know we'll get, well, we'll, I have seen before on certain Facebook groups that you get a bit of abuse for saying the traffic's a nightmare. The only reason I say it is because I love the club and I want to see the club grow and I want to see it be successful. But if I, I'm a massive fan and sometimes I genuinely sit there and think, I've got a season ticket, i pay paid for this match, can I be bothered yeah. with the stress of getting to the place and getting out again? And if I'm thinking that, what on earth is anyone going to want to come? So... It is that at least we've got two owners who have got the cash and the desire, and one of whom has definitely got the love of the club in, you know, Jed Mason. Simon Orange obviously like, like does like the club, but Jed Mason has been a sale fan for a number of years. So at least we've got that kind of attitude at the top to hopefully see a positive resolution. <laughs>
0: And with that, we should probably take a break because I don't know about you, but I'm getting a bit thirsty. I need to need to refresh, refresh myself. Um, so even on a conference uh, somewhere in the northwest, and you know, battling planes, trains, and automobiles, James has still managed to send in uh, the highly anticipated preview for next week's fixture. Uh, this week's fixture, sorry, uh, against Saracens. Uh, we'll be back after James. Uh, James has your undivided attention for seven minutes.
2: Well, I'm sorry I can't make the podcast this week. Um, hopefully that doesn't boost listening numbers like it did when Lewis wasn't on it. Um, but here's my take on Saracens, who we face next in the LV Cup. Sale so obviously coming off a good win last weekend. Down at Worcester, I think any away win is, is a good win for Sale at the moment. Uh, whatever the, the sides and the personnel that are playing um, and... You know, Saracens, they also are picking a side which aren't their first choice. But like any Saracens side, they're really, really well coached, really well drilled. And as I've said before on the podcast, it doesn't matter who they pick in which position, um, they have a way of playing and they're very, very difficult to beat. So what happened last week for Saracens? Well, they did a sale. They threw away a winning position. Um, and uh, I think it's going to be difficult to face them next because I think they're going to be really keen to put that right. It was an amazing comeback from Quinns. For, for those who don't know, uh, Quinns scored a, a converted try in the last, uh, well, uh, it was the 84th minute, um so we went into injury time, they came back from sort of twenty points back to win by a point, thirty points to twenty nine. So Saracens are gonna be really hurt by that and they're gonna be really wanna come up to the AJ Bell and take us on. So it's the Saracen side that they're gonna be picking, who is it gonna be? Well, I'm going to do what we did last time and just go through, um, maybe three players to watch out for that you might not have heard of before. A lot of their big guns are being rested for this. So, I mean, we've got to take this into account, really, that some of their young, recent academy graduates who are still really, really young, like Nick Haziekwe, Maro Toji, Jamie George, George Cruz, Jackson Ray, um, you know, they are all going to be rested, uh, but they're all still pretty, pretty young as, as things go. Um, so they're really getting their academy right at Saracens. Um, so the person I want to go with first is someone called Christopher Tolefuwa. So he was signed from Toulouse a couple of years ago, but for the start of this season, caused ripples in France. And the reason being is it's quite odd to be picking him out with somebody who no one has heard of, um, and he's a third-choice hooker at Saracens. But actually, he bursts onto the scene in 2012 um, and has got seven caps for France. He's played... 75 times or so for Toulouse um, and was raved about as being the next big thing at Hooker. Um, he's faded since the um, burst initially onto the scene. and He's moved to Saracens to get fit. He's really struggled to, to stay fit. Um, he's 6'4", 18 and a half stone. Uh, being able to play for eighty minutes as a starting Hooker has been an issue for him. So, to, you know, the last sort of season and a half at Toulouse, he was impact off the bench. And what he's done at Saracens, as you'd expect, is he's got fit and actually, he's got picked into the French squad. I don't know what that says about French rugby, but certainly it does say that uh, Tollifu has managed to get fit at Saracens. And with Brits retiring at the end of the year, it's an opportunity for him to rebuild and reboot his career um, over the medium term. He is a big ball carrier. He does have weaknesses throwing in at the line-out. Um, so hopefully we can target him there. But it's going to be a real challenge for Cameron Neal if he starts again at two to play against an international hook. Second person I want to talk about is Max Malins. Um, he's play, probably playing at 10 for Saracens. Again, take into account he's probably the third choice at Saracens at 10. Uh, maybe even fourth choice because Alex Goode would probably be subbed in at, at 10, um, if there was injuries to, uh, Farrell and Lazowski. Um, 10 is Malin's best position. He takes the ball to the line. He's a good distributor. He's got a good kicking game. He played for the under 20s, um, in the summer, a year young, um, mostly at 15. Um, he did get brought in at 10, um, in the, in the, uh, in the championship. Um, he's also signed an extension recently at Saracens. Saracens are, are, are you know, I don't know how they're able to do it, but they're keeping hold of a lot of their youngsters and people are signing long-term contracts, including, of course, Farrell and Ozowski. So it's going to be interesting to see, um, his long-term development at 10. Um, I mean, they've signed him on for, for, for longer and he's signed on there. So they've obviously promised something to him. Um maybe they see that he's a longer term option uh for fifteen at fifteen for good, similar type player. Uh, but then you also gotta take into account that they've got Liam Williams and Sean Maitland as international uh fullbacks on on their books. But Malin's good distributor, maybe can be targeted in defence, um but uh he's looking a very skillful player to me what I've seen of him and thirdly and lastly is a guy called Jack Ney the reason I've chosen him is I've, I've seen him play for old Albanians he's come through the system in St. Albans um, and uh, you know he's, he's a good player he scored an absolute cracking try against Quinns at the weekend in the LV Cup Bursting through, handing off two defenders and getting over the line. If you can see the uh, highlights of that Saracens-Quins game, well worth it for that try alone. He's a lanky blindside in the mould of Michael Rhodes. Um, good in the line-out, easy to lift. So um, I'm looking forward to seeing him. For Sale, well what do we need to do to stop the Saracens juggernaut? Well, if I knew that, then I think i will be doing more than just a fans podcast. But we clearly have to get the set piece right. Um, uh, and compared to last week, we probably need to use our possession a little bit better. Um, from who I've spoken to, we maybe lacked lack somebody at the weekend to get us over the gain line. McGinty was maybe a, li- a little bit deep, um, despite, despite, despite playing well. So, um, I, I, don't necessarily have an answer to that, but, you know, over-reliance on, on TJ Uwani perhaps in, in the carrying states and we need to get other people, um, carrying in midfield, not just close to, to the ruck area. Um, Head-to-head-wise, who do I want to pick out? Well, I, I'm going to go for James Flynn against Kieran Longbottom. Uh, we know Kieran Longbottom, he played a season at Sale. Um, James Flynn, the perennial substitute, coming on for 30 seconds for, for for Harrison in most of our premiership games. I think it's going to be a really good test for where Flynn is at in his development. Playing someone like Kieran Longbottom, he has been there he has been first choice at Saracens in the past he struggled uh, us with with injuries he's been fit for the majority of this season he's getting some game game time in the LV Cup so you know let's see where where James Flynn has got to Um, in terms of what I think the results going to be well uh, I think Sale will do well to win but I am going to go for a home win and I'm going to say Sale 28 Saracens 22.
0: I do love hearing uh, James' soliloquy for for a while uh, on uh, on all matters pertaining to Sel's next opponent. It, does make, it makes for a nice break from from, from hearing mine and, mine and your voice. Don't you? Don't you agree, Alex?
1: Oh, absolutely, mate! It's it's good to know that he's here in voice and spirit.
0: Yeah, and, and in Sam Moore and Karen Wilkinson references.
1: Yes, I'd, I absolutely know that he'll <laughs> be full of them.
0: Yeah. anyway back to the mailbag we've got a few more that we want to that we want to get through um, and like a quick thank you to everyone who submitted questions we really appreciate it and this is the sort of thing we mean by getting uh, community generated uh, content to make the pod not just about the three blokes naturally on all the time but about a, a wider sale community so next question this comes from uh, Sellerboss on twitter Alex you can change one thing about sale uh, kit, stadium owners, DOR players, increased fan base, etc. etc. What is it?
1: Oh, it's a really tough question, isn't it? That's um, a great question. It's a great question. As I said before, excellent question, which means I don't know really the answer. Um, I think I would like to see us make more of an effort to get involved um, with sort of the sale and wider Manchester community more particularly. To increase our fan base. So get into schools and give them a load of free tickets and just say, because what's the point of if we give a load of free tickets away to a load of school kids, then we don't lose anything because we're not selling those tickets anyway. So go and give a load of free tickets away. This is how I got into sale. They came into my school, they gave us a load of free tickets. I went to a sale game, I got hooked, voila. Um, So I'd love to see us just get back to that and really, you know. Expand that fan base in the Manchester area and become a Manchester club. Do you want to
0: hear my really really unpopular opinion? Go
1: no, on. So unpopular opinions.
0: Yeah. So I I can I can change one thing about, about about Sale. I mean, it'd be heresy to say I change change Sale from the name, but I I think a different name. Like if we could retrospectively go back and, and do it from the start, you know how. I know, obviously, they don't, they don't compare in size, but Gloucester, Worcester, Northampton—it's all very town. It's very sort of like yeah, town and and city based. Um, I think Sale might do a little bit better if they were called, you know, the Manchester something's.
1: Oh no, I can't agree. I think Manchester Sharks sounds like a lower league basketball team. Man. But
0: that—that's that, the thing. I don't necessarily think Sharks is the best one. You know, our, our friends at Egg Chasers, you know they know—they've—they've they've made the joke for years. It's you know. The sale sharks who play in a landlocked city, you know. I, yeah. I get the need for for um, you know uh, for alliteration, um, but I wonder whether or not a different a different name might be better, uh, especially especially many, for that like suffix, you know, the
1: sharks. How many? The thing is, when you look at the other teams in the league, have any of them got alliteration? Newcastle Falcons, Leicester Tigers, Worcester Warriors, um, Worcester Warriors. So I mean, it's not really necessary. I quite like the sort of sale FC or sale rugby I just think going back to that retro thing would be yeah cool
0: but I, I also think as well and I I might be way off way off base here I sort of get the feeling so I might be a, a more marketable brand if the logo was more of a, a crest like a club Yeah, yeah. yeah. so you know how I, I look at like Northampton and Gloucester Bath you know, it's all very, yeah, it's all very, Exodus is great, I don't know, there's, there's the awkward sort of appropriation of Native Americans involved, but, you know, that's a really great sort of logo, and I like the Sharks one, I like how it's kind of minimalist and, and, and stuff, but I feel like it'd be better if, if it had a bit more of a Manchester City, Manchester United uh, sort of vibe to it, you know, a big big circle, or a, or a, you know, a badge, or a crest, or a shield, in the way that sort of Gloucester, or, or someone like that, has. yeah, that, that, that Maybe, maybe. I mean, I, I understand keeping sale eighteen sixty one etc. That that is very important. But I do wonder where, whether if we could go back now to when we name the franchise, whether or not it'd be better to do something slightly different or just go for sale rugby, go very traditional and just have the, that lovely, that lovely old sort of crest on it. I think that that might be what I'd change.
1: Yeah, I I I, I get why you. Why you would say that? Yeah. Whether, yeah, I I think I don't have the answer, but I do agree that maybe a change would um, would freshen things up. Yeah, and I think Um, I think a couple of years ago,
0: I think Sale were kind of angling for that because they dropped Sale from the um, thing, didn't they? From the from the kit. Yeah, Yeah. but then obviously it was a bit like, you know, were we playing in Manchester or Durban? You know, it's uh, (laughs) it was a bit super rugby.
1: Who had that first? Because. You know, I, don't uh, I don't know. I don't know. Just anyway, you on. right. Next We're question. Next question. A quick one from Jamie. Where do each of you think we will finish in the prem?
0: Optimist eighth, realist tenth. Oh. Go going go, go off going off the first six games of the season, or uh, uh, well, ten games, or however many we played in the Premiership. I think. I think. I'd like to think we would push for the top six, but I think this is going to be another rebuilding season. Tenth. We're mm-hmm. better than Worcester and Irish.
1: Okay, ten. Are you going with ten?
0: Yeah, don't hold me to that. This this is a one off podcast uh, mailbag spectacular.
1: Okay, I'm going with seven, So, okay. I'm I'm live by the sword, die by the sword. I say.
0: All right, cool. Taking things slightly off, off off topic. Andy Taylor writes in: Is it right to subject MPs to trial by press? Also, is it still right if what they did wasn't illegal? Very topical <laughs> with the Paradise Papers stuff. Uh, we did. I, I mean, to be fair, I you know, I got I I. I Got, you know, be careful what you wish for because I was hoping we'd get some non sell questions, preferably about other sports. But yeah, so try my press, like
1: it. it's, it's intense. Um, in, in answer to that, uh, Andy, uh, you know, if you can't hold your members of parliament to account, who can you? That's, that's what I say. Um, I do think, you know, I'm going to answer this seriously. I? I do think it's a bit unfair that MPs sort of have to sacrifice all notion of privacy in order to serve the public, but at the same time, you know what you're signing up for. Absolutely. So, um, you know, and if they, what they did wasn't illegal, um, that is one that I'm not even going to contemplate answering because. Um, Tweet your <laughs> yeah, yeah. Answer,
0: answers on answers on a postcard. I think I think for me, with with an issue like this, uh, for anyone who, who's listening, who cares, um, public scrutiny is a very important part um, of being being a member of Parliament. And I think uh, the press uh, has a has a massive role to play in that. I think it's important not to let known political biases and prejudices factor into that public scrutiny, which is a very difficult thing. But for example. You know, it's, it's no surprise that the Daily Mail might be harder on Diane Abbott than The Guardian is, and vice versa. So I think you, you should always factor those sort of things into public scrutiny, but I do think it's a very important part of the job, especially because of the, the, the excellent work that lots of newspapers and journalists do uh, to uncover um, some very, very important issues that would otherwise be... Be be uh, you know swept behind the doors of Westminster as as we've been finding out in the last couple of weeks. But
1: uh, what a very weird two minutes this podcast has just to <laughs> We let James go away for a week, and we start discussing the vagaries of press intrusion into MPs' lives. Um, so for
0: anyone who follows James on, on James's personal accounts on Twitter as well, he's got some very interesting political opinions, um, and he seems to. I'm glad he isn't on the podcast actually, because he'd be we'd be hearing a lot about the Lib Dems right now.
1: I'll say nothing on that I'll get in trouble Um, apart from I mean from him next week I've got no strong feelings about the Lib Dems either way although I am a student who had to pay nine grand so um, (laughs) let's leave it come on apart from maybe the Premiership Final um, so I'll I'll basically what are our favourite slash most memorable sale games and if you say the Premiership Final it's a massive cop out so favourite
0: most memorable most memorable PizzaGate, Gate, because I remember, <laughs> cause I remember being stood in the Prince Land stand at Ashley Park at quarter past eight wondering what the hell was going on, um, definitely the most memorable one, I, I see a lot of people mention the Albania game between Sale and Newcastle back in like 2001, that was a bit before my time, do you know what happened with that?
1: No, it's again before my time, yeah. I, I remember seeing an Albania flag when I, my first season in 04, so. Yeah.
0: No, I don't. I imagine that's quite memorable for for whatever reason. That's that's my most memorable game. Um, most favourite game. <laughs> I don't, don't think I have one. They're all a bit. Uh, <laughs> it's all all a bit sort different.
1: of suffering, isn't it? It, it really is
0: because like you know you can't even point to like oh you know a shock a shock win in Europe or anything like that. Um, mm. I've got my least favourite just... game
1: oh go on yeah go on let's expand the question
0: oh that that uh, losing that home to London Welsh in 2012-13 because that was the first mm-hmm. game where I really really was into rugby like like I was like I woke up on the morning of the game and I was like I couldn't wait to get to the AJ Bell and, and all this sort of stuff and then yeah that was the first time I got ripped out by sale watching us get uh, quite comprehensively beat by by, uh, by the worst team in the league but yeah, yeah.
1: favourite? first, in, first of many mate
0: Oh, I honestly can't think of what my favourite game is. Uh, no. I'll have a think, think. think. wasps, wasps, was, was you want to, yeah.
1: yeah. Um, so my most memorable game, most favourite, um, yeah, I haven't got a least favourite because I tend to blunk those things out of my mind. Um, I do remember, it's a bit of a cop-out, but the semi-final against Wasps, I remember being a really, really good day because we got quite a lot of people coming to say it was only my second season but i remember we got a lot of people coming to saley we were sort of didn't usually go but we're into rugby in the camp. It was just such a good day i remember seeing jason robinson step mark langisbergen from about 30 meters away uh-huh. it was ridiculous um so i just remember being really really excited by that and um, and then again another one beating munster at home in the um heineken cup i remember which was just uh, it just sort of felt like we kind of arrived as a club in europe um was pretty good. Um, that was at Edgley Park. AJ Bell. I haven't got many. many <laughs> to be fair,
0: that's uh, actually that that sort of uh, interlude is worth a treat because I, I remember what my favourite game is now. So I couldn't tell you who they were playing because I was a that was a wee nipper. But I remember one of the very first games I ever went to as a cell fan was that uh, it was at Haywood Road, uh, and I was down at sort of the clubhouse end, and I was stood with with my dad, uh, and I think I bet it was a pre-season friendly or or something. But lo and behold who is stood behind me uh, Jason Robinson and obviously it's it's, it's a small walkway There not a lot of people there and um, so I remember for the first for the first half uh, me and my dad spoke to Jason Robinson for 40 minutes uh, I got a few autographs and all that sort of stuff and that I, I, I couldn't tell you I couldn't tell you who it was who it was against or what year it was but I just remember that that was one of my first memories um, of being a cell phone and I think that's really cool so that would that, be my favorite one. Because um, it's, it's it, it imbued me with uh, with a love for sale that'll will never die. But yeah, there we go. Okay, couple more thoughts on the inability to replace. <laughs> going from very uh, very positive to negative. Thoughts on the inability to replace Dines to sell underperform in the next few years. Brackets not saying I don't like dimes Wouldn't want to ban. That's from Will Wheeler. God, that's coming up a lot tonight, isn't it? The uh, the, the JB gate no, ban.
1: The JB gate ban. I that's that's um, going to define our season. Yeah, Yeah in the season of J.B. Gate. Um, thoughts on this? It'll um, yeah, probably be fine, will it? I don't know. I don't really want to think about it because I, I do think it's a bit of an issue um, that we've kind of got a club where the management structure is such that... But then, you know, you don't you don't necessarily have to get rid of dimes out of the club no. bringing in a new head coach. As you've said. So, actually, my answer will be, see earlier in the pod when Lewis mentioned about Dimes' new role as DLR. Yeah, oh,
0: yeah, I think I think it isn't worth thinking about. But, but the way I, my sort of stance on this is, if this becomes an issue, it becomes a very, very important issue. Because if, if Sale are getting relegated and if, if things are going to pot and, and you know, there's a bit of a power struggle between Dimes at the top and everyone else... Uh, and and if Dimes leaves, you know, if he falls out with somebody at the club, Simon Orange and Jed Mason Dimes did an amazing job of getting Orange and Mason on board to invest the money. Does that money just just dry up if Dimes leaves? That yeah, absolutely. I don't I don't want to think about it, but I, I think it's not a problem for now. And in theory, if 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 the the management restructure happens as I, as I think it should, it shouldn't ever be a problem. But it could be a very big problem if we're not careful.
1: So, in answer to your question, Will. We are too scared to consider that possibility. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on, uh, this is from Ellen. Should we bring in different coaches to solve problems like Eddie Jones does for England?
0: Uh, kind of, kind of do it already, don't we?
1: Yeah, we do actually. Yeah, we do. We brought in John Callard and John uh, Carlton, Dan Richmond,
0: Yeah, yeah. Richmond. Um, I really like Eddie Jones as a speaking more broadly. I really like Eddie Jones as a as a manager, and he's done he's done wonders with England. But I I, I do think he's a He's, he's hilarious, but he is a lot of talk. And I think all this stuff about finishes and uh, and all sort of things he does differently. I think at the end of the day, all that's really changed from from when Lancaster was in charge is he's hired some better coaches in in um, uh, uh, Paul Gustard and, yeah. who attack? And, and who does he bothwick and who does he bothwick does the forwards? Gustard does the defence. Who does the attack? Is it the is is it the Australian? Uh, Aaliyah
1: Oh God, I don't know. Because
0: I know he's I know. he's like a consultant and stuff, but
1: yeah. yeah,
0: I I don't know. I think I think there's two things on this. I think Jones is is a lot of talk, and I think he's a very good manager, but I don't necessarily think it's this. I think he's done a really good job of just bringing a good collection of coaches for him to, to watch over. So I don't necessarily think it's about having these specialists coming in and doing you know sumo wrestling or whatever they're doing it at, at Pennyhill Park every other week. It, also, it seems. I think the other thing as well is what Jones has done well is he, j- he just picked the right players. You know, and that's what Lancaster didn't do. You know, it, the Burgess fiasco and insisting on, on playing with Burrell at 12, you know, the, the sort of hard hitting and, you know, the opposite of the old Keegan approach that you like to, to, to mention quite a lot is it's not you score six, we'll score seven. It was, you know, you concede seven, we'll, we'll, we'll concede six. And Lancaster was yeah. very defence first and I think Joe, all Jones has done is say, right, Marouet you're ready to play uh, you know, we're going to let our best players play. And we're just going to let them play play with free reign, and it's suits them a lot better. So, you know,
1: yeah, I think what what Jones has done is is taken pressure off the team completely. When there was so much pressure on them at the World Cup, and Lancaster probably wasn't experienced enough to deal with that pressure and take it off them. And what Jones does is a he's brilliant because as soon as an issue comes up about the team, he'll say something that will get him in trouble. Mm. It's great. It's just it's Mourinho esque, Mourinho at his peak esque not current Mourinho. Um, but, you know, the, Jones is very... I think Jones is kind of almost what Dimes wants to be in that he takes pressure off his team, but he's also... If you don't perform, you're out. He's ruthless. Yeah. Anna Harrison um, can, oh, and, and Burrell, in fact, can tell you all about it. So, um, to go back to the original question, I think there may be some value, as we were talking before about things getting a bit stale before and Deacon I haven't been there a long time. There's always value in bringing in People who've done different things, you know, we've got a load of rugby league coaches. Why don't we get a union coach in Australia yeah. for three months or something? You know, someone like I don't know um, the Crusaders coach who was coaching the Bars at the weekend. Scott, someone you made that up. No, uh, no, I know, I
0: know what you mean, but the Super Rugby expert isn't isn't here. Yeah. yeah,
1: but you know, it's um, just a different a different perspective on the way we play. Um, I I think there is some value in that, whether it'll happen. I mean, we have had some bad experiments, John Mitchell, um, with with coaches coming in, but I think there's always value in it. It's just whether you can get the right people in at the right time and whether you've got sort of the how are the other coaches would feel about it how does Stephen feel if someone comes in and how much influence can they have No, of course
0: because it is a very delicate balance and we, we've saved the best for last this, well uh, at least I have this this is my favourite question we had this week although uh, everyone's questions were my favourites because uh, we look after all our listeners here but I thought this was a really yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but this was a really really good question and I think it's definitely one that, that you listeners will have a lot of opinions on you can bring one historic shark back into the first fifteen at their peak. Who gets in? Alex, one player from Sale's history can come back in at their peak uh, and and play for Sale. Who Who would you have?
1: Is this are we are we talking now? That's that's what we've got. Are we saying this is now the team right now? Or is it just generally, you know, I the think, team was all the people ability?
0: No, I think I think let's let's go with it being this is the team right now twenty seventeen eighteen shots. You can bring one player from Sales history back.
1: At their peak. At their peak. Um, I am going to go for Sebastian at his peak because I just think he was a monster, and he's exactly the sort of. He's he's what Josh Strauss wants to be. Josh Strauss wears Sebastian Chabal pyjamas, but don't we all, because he's just... (laughs) And he gives no... He just doesn't care, and he lends himself to song. And Yeah, I I think... Obviously, there's a massive case for Jason Robinson um, in terms of excitement. But, you know, our backs are pretty exciting, and um, I'm not boring enough to choose a prop. So, Chabal.
0: You see, I think I am boring enough to choose a prop. And I, I think it's not it's not even our, our, our biggest um, area area weakness. Um, oh actually yeah. Hmm. I was gonna say Andrew Sheridan. Because I yeah, I mean I, mean, I at, at his peak he was he was he might have been the best prop in the world. At least at least at loose And if you have him playing sixty minutes and have Ross Harrison coming off the bench, what a what a player to, <laughs> to, to to sort of learn from. Um, as well. That being said, at this current team, so I, I'm torn between the romantic pick of of Sheridan, who you know was one of the only props in the world who could win you a game single handedly as he used to do for England, especially against the Alties. Um But I think on the current form, I mean, who who is Sale's greatest ever lock? Because I think that's that's the area that Sale needs the, the most. Question:
1: We haven't got a massive sort of vein of. You know, talent a lot have we really? Who did, who did we have in that season? When we won the league. We had Christian Day. Um, I mean, uh, there's 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 Ignacio
0: Lobe. There's yeah, one there's yeah. one Fernandez Lobbe, But Lobe was more uh, one at least was more of a six. I'm Jason White that. was more of a six.
1: But, yeah, I mean, Nacho Nacho Lobe is a good shout. Actually, I think he would bring.
0: But I don't. I don't think. I don't think he, his ceiling is as high as Sheridan's or Robinson's or even Hodgson's. Or I yeah, think, I think it'd be. A, I think if, if we're looking at current need, Locke definitely, probably Frank more Clinton,
1: so. Frank Cotton, mate. Frank Cotton. Do
0: you reckon he could dust off the old boots?
1: I think he could do the job, mate.
0: No, he's still involved <laughs> with the club. But yeah, no, that that is an amazing question. I, I, I'm going to be thinking about this un, until next week's podcast. Yeah. But I think I think. Maybe Sheridan. And so
1: should you this?
0: <laughs> yes, yes, yeah, yeah. It's a uh, good.
1: That's a good question for this week. Yeah, yeah. Um, Definitely, it's
0: a bit of a toughie as well. It's a great one to to end on, I think, and and thank you, Robin, for sending that question in, and thank you uh, everybody who's who's um, posted questions for us to answer this week. I hope you enjoyed the mountain bike as much as uh, we did. Um, you know, it's, again like, like I said it's, it's something we've really wanted to be pushing for a while because we want to get listeners involved as much as possible and we really appreciate everybody putting their time and effort into to making this a, a podcast for the sale for community um, and so with that I think that's our first, first mailbag done, um, anything you want to say before we sign off?
1: Um, we should probably say Saracens on Friday how are we going to do Oh, we might get a win over Sar I think we're gonna win I think we're gonna beat Saracens, so I think that might be quite nice. Um, I'm at the match, so let's hope for a win. So, and let's hope to see Marlon Yard and then some Academy players. Yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, okay, so prediction.
1: Um oh, yeah, I knew you can do that. Um thirty what did I go last week? How bad the... oh yeah, I should probably just a quick look to last week you said it would be 36-26 to us not bad James said it would be 28-16 to us again not bad uh, I said it would be 40-18 to us so I'm nowhere near um, so you James. between you and James so I'll, I'll well, when he's back next week we'll argue that one um, so I, have,
0: I, I have a horrible feeling you might have won that one because yeah, he's probably I closer was. to the final it's like somber. winning margin yeah,
1: yeah. Um, but no Saris be sale, sale be Saris. Um, uh, numbers up the
0: air, twenty seven, twenty three. I'm going to gonna say twenty six nineteen uh, to Saris uh, to sale over since I think twenty six
1: nineteen. Yeah. We are very positive, aren't we? We so?
0: really are. We really are. Marlon Yard to, to to bag at least one try. Surely Sale give him a run out. It'd be perfect Give him a bit of match fitness. Like it, yeah, like it, it,
1: it, good idea to get him into the team and hopefully yeah, I'd love to I'd love to see him it'd be awesome to see him in a sales shirt I'd be very excited
0: especially in, in that, that lovely orange kit that we're rolling out for, for, for the one time oh
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. there's another exciting
0: it's thing yeah. say all
1: you want on the orange kit mate.
0: I mean that, that's all I've got to say I just want to see Marlon Yard in it but I, I mean it, I've, I've been seeing people tweet the pictures um, of them in the orange kit just out and about it's a great kit man why it's
1: why busy. Good kit don't 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 start getting angry about the other one
0: yeah no no we should probably end this uh end this uh before it gets uh, gets a bit too kit kit centric i think um but yeah b- before we say goodbye, uh quick message for James, we miss you and we're looking forward to speaking to yeah. you next week
1: come back soon,
0: yeah yes. yeah and tell, tell us all about the academy, but yeah, with that uh yeah, I want to say a big thank you to alex uh for for joining me uh on uh, on his lonesome this week, but thanks Alex.
1: Thank you very much, mate, and thanks to everyone for sending questions in and getting involved. It's always good. I've enjoyed it.
2: Yep, and we'll speak to you guys next week.